shit. <laughs> Pardon my French. Riverside FM bringing all the heat that the Inland Empire can handle. We get a little yeah. countdown before we go. Is a peek behind the sausage being made? It normally it should go five, four, three, two, one, but it went five, three, two, one. You know what? I, if you ask anyone from Riverside, the city itself, they'd tell you that's just efficiency, baby. Hi, I'm Alex Enriquez. Hi, Kenny Stevenson, and welcome to Fan Controlled Fandom. We are owning and operating within the Cape Space, baby. We are talking. People who are wearing capes in your content, they're flying around, potentially being a higher evolutionary wearing a cape. They are they are in outer space driving a spaceship. They are fighting a dragon or a bog beast. It's all done in capes. It's not the most functional piece of attire, but they're all wearing them. From Superman to Darth Vader to Grendel's mother, they're all wearing capes, baby. And you, not not any of the title characters in our in our main subject today, but the, as I mentioned briefly, the high high evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, he's wearing a cape. So we're talking about capes. We're talking about Guardian of the Galaxy Volume Three. Adam Warlock also wears a cape towards the that beginning of the movie, and then by the end of the movie, he well, spoiler alert, we'll just say it now. We'll save it for if you don't want to, if you haven't seen Guardians. Maybe don't listen to the Guardians part, but listen to this next part, which is the quick pieces of nerd news, and it's called Quick Hits. And here comes the, just I've just been told, obnoxiously loud stinger. <laughs> I didn't use that and, word. And <laughs> that was the point of it. And here it comes. Quick, quick, quick hits. hits. <laughs> I almost forgot to point to the sky. I God know. Damn it. I was wondering what happened. What happened there when you didn't point to the sky? Yeah, that stinger, baby. It's supposed to. It's. I was trying to go for aggressive, <laughs> an aggressive assault on your ears. Some, something that was like stood completely counter to us. Like, yeah, no. like, yeah. Counter opposite to who we are as people and as podcast hosts. I love it. Aggressively assaulting your ears. Alex, Ah. how much of a fan were you? I know you're always a little bit timid of the scary stuff. Did, Did you see the movie Beetlejuice growing up? No, I didn't see it growing up. I don't think I saw it until I was in my my late twenties, early thirties. Frankly, holy cow! And and were you this this movie was a large portion of my. uh, childhood early years in the in the mid 80s for me yeah what took you so long to see this film uh i don't know first of all i've never been the biggest fan even from being a kid never been the biggest fan of the burton aesthetic uh beetlejuice kind of oh, i was a little wow. young when it came out this is it, hot takes hot takes um, batman 89 though I mean, batman 89 is cool but that's more anton first's aesthetic like tim burton's aesthetic is nightmare before christmas frank and weenie like i i, I don't know it's just not it can definitely wear thin for sure run, run thin a little bit with like the dark shadows movie like I get uh, it. I, 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 that being said, I think I would have absolutely adored this movie had the first time I seen it. I, I not possessed a fully developed prefrontal cortex, but I, yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I, I think you know, uh, it's it's fine. It was funny. I don't know. It didn't. None of it really stuck with me, except that everybody's performance was great. 
but oh, yeah, peak, so it's, it's it's peak Keaton. I bring this up for full disclaimer before we get into the quick hits because of the WGA strike, which we are a hundred percent, one thousand percent in support of, and all the yes. work that the people are out there doing every day to try to get a decent living wage to write all the content that we are talking about. That has shut down a lot of production, so there isn't a lot of big news. However, there are some people who are still like, I'm a billionaire and I can just keep making money. And one of those people is Tim Burton, and we was announced this week that Beetlejuice 2 is happening, directed by Tim Burton, Michael Keaton is back, Winona Ryder is back, and then in what is just absolutely like, I mean, there's no, like, this is typecasting, casting Jenna Ortega playing uh, Winona Ryder's daughter. So I don't know if she's just playing Wednesday Adams. Yes, she will be like Friday Adams or they won't they won't get much usable footage out of anybody where they're not calling her Wednesday. I think it's going to be hard is I think they're going to shoot it concurrently. So they'll be shooting season two of Wednesday and then the next day it'll be like like the Guardians holiday special and the Guardians volume three. Like, oh, today we're shooting Wednesday, but then tomorrow we're actually shooting Beetlejuice 2. Your outfit is exactly the same. We're not like we're saving money on wardrobe there. So we're just going to have Michael Keaton just going to be taking breaks in between days. They also announced Monaco Bellucci who's going to be playing in this movie as well, which I mean, for lack of a better word, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's hyphenated. Catherine so it counts O'Hara as one word. Coming back. I don't think they're going to be bringing Jeffrey Jones back to play no. husband. I could say that's probably not happening. Convicted sex offender, I think. <laughs> yes. Jeffrey Jones, if I'm not mistaken, pardon me yes. if I am. No, well, he was definitely accused, and I'm pretty sure he was convicted. So he won't be coming back. But And Justin Thoreau, a, an actor who I'm just constantly baffled still works. As an but, actor, I'm such a huge fan of his writing. Exactly. Like I'm constantly like, and you know what? And he, I guarantee he's, he is positing himself to be the romantic love interest to Jenna Ortega, an actor who consistently refuses to act his age in anything. He's always playing like the love interest to a 20 year old. Uh, Is Jenna Ortega, the new Helena Bonham Carter has, has she taken over as the, the, the dark and dusky muse the weird of, uh, like Tim Hitchcock, Burton. the weird Hitchcockian move that uh, Tim Burton had with Helena Barnum Carter. I, yeah, probably. I mean, at this point, you're doing Wednesday. Wednesday like brings like Tim Burton was kind of wallowing around in like I mean, he doesn't have a Depp anymore, so he can't just like remake some property with Johnny Depp in the lead. So, yes, not? what a what a and what a regretful state we all find ourselves in. I gotta tell uh, because you, of that. I was I was watching a, a movie in 2004 for work called Secret Window, starring Johnny Depp, and it's about a man who like <laughs> is so upset that his wife is cheating on him. He create. I'm just spoiling the whole movie because whatever. It's 18 years ago. Creates like an a, a character from a book uses that as an alias so he can as like a his like unconscious murdering side and like murders his wife and buries her and like totally gets away with it and like that's the whole point of the movie see you know what she is dead people and people shit on the superhero and, stuff and, and, and this is the shit John they used Depp to make in this film for hair the hair and makeup and wardrobe people on this movie the fact that johnny depp just insisted that i'm gonna come to set myself 
don't worry about it was basically every day coming in in like beat up sweats and like a robe and hair all tussled. And I was just reminding me that like Johnny Depp for a long time was just allowed to kind of do whatever the hell he wanted. And it's absurd. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it's, it's maybe that's changing and I hope it's changing as more and more like regular people get to live that kind of life you know because of instagram there's no more gatekeepers <laughs> yeah it's uh it the blooms off the rose now there's no more hey you know what i'm i'm done with all of that celebrity you know bs guga um did you know we're about to talk at length of guardians and uh, guard i almost said guardians about the galaxy guardians gallivanting about the galaxy volume three <laughs> did you know that pete davidson was supposedly in this movie <laughs> i saw that he had some kind of secret cameo uh, he was, it was basically his body. They put like, uh, he's one of kind of the guards in the high evolutionary towards the end when they're actually in counter earth, his kind of like fortress. Um, but he's in the movie, like with like a, you know, alien face on or something. But we only know this because of course the internet is relentless towards James Gunn at all times. Like I think if he had a, if his job was just to be on Twitter, he, that would be enough for him. Um, somebody asked him a positive question. If anybody uh, voiced, if he voiced a character and he was like, Oh, I actually did voice this character. And then my friend Pete also stopped by and actually came to visit us in Atlanta for a day. And he played somebody and it, that Pete was Pete Davidson. What what's the deal with this guy, man? <laughs> with Pete Davidson? Like, I know he's funny. I know he's a lot of fun. In and just from people I know, I know he's a lot of fun. I just don't get it. <laughs> I think he's endearing to people. I think people in I, I think people especially that are older than him and funny find him endearing. Um I think I, I think he's hilariously funny. I, 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 I like watching too. the guy. I, oh, you know, 100%. I, I get it. I get it. Get it. Um, 100%. I think it's, I just think, well, I'm not, this is not the point of the story. The point of the story is, is that there were cameos in this movie. Apparently there are more, there were so many um, of guns, people kind of throughout the movie, which we'll get to as we're talking about like Nathan Fillion is in this movie. The woman, great whose job. Name I always, Oh, he was wonderful. The woman who I always forget who works from the suicide squad, who is in peacemaker, who Jennifer was, Holland. Yes. She was in the, the, we never, the, the phantom episode of, of we did of Shazam fury of yeah. the God. She was in the post credit sequence of that. She was like a person at the computer in this movie. Um, Linda Cardellini, who was in the Scooby-Doo. She played Thelma in the Scooby-Doo movies. I saw her name in the credits and was like, is her character from Hawkeye going to be in this thing? Is she, it's Hawkeye's like agent 29 or whatever. No, she's the voice of Lila. Um, wow. So it's just, he, he, the thing I think that Marvel is going to miss, and we're going to get into this a lot more with James Gunn is the fact that this, and what he did with this, with this movie was this idea of like eventizing and making it like a fun hang and absolutely and i feel like that's it was like oh wow james gunn put uh pete davidson in his movie but of course not it's not a week without james gunn if he hasn't doesn't have to talk about dc shit yeah and and by the way calling it right now pete davidson will be superman wow that would make that would make i almost like even though 
Like, I know that's not serious. There's a part of me, and even though that I personally don't think he could do it, there's a part of me that's like, do it. Do just, it. Just to, like, watch, like, grown men just melt. Just yeah, so I guess I'm from Krypton or whatever. Hey, uh, hey, as long as we're shooting it in Staten Island and his, his name's got to be Pete. Um, <laughs> and he still lives with his mom. He still lives with his mom. Because <laughs> he has that show coming out. He literally did a movie about his life, and now he has a show about his life. I just would like to see him like do something. But that's why I'm saying do it. Cast I'm not. I'm, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm not saying it. It's only 5% in jest, but he did make a lot of himself. And he did lose his father in 9-11. I'll oh, get, no, like, 100%. Do it. Like, if, if you're going to, if if that's going to be part of your story, you'd get to, I would l- let you be this successful if you sucked. But the fact that you're good, cool. Let's just, let, I'm, I'm I'm in. I'll watch Bupkiss. Let's do it. Oh, no, I definitely want to watch Bupkiss. There's a part of me that's just like, I, I would love to see you tell a different story rather than your own. However, yes, you're right. His story is very unique. Anyway, but he's literally playing himself in Bupkiss. Anyway cast him as superman just just i just just to watch people who worship at the altar of garbage films just lose their minds i I just just do it i mean cast i have that i feel the same way about casting chris pratt um just cast chris pratt as superman and watch everybody just heads explode i just want to see pete davidson get absolutely shredded (laughs) oh i know bulked muscly like, but still just be like absolutely he, circ- he like dark circles under the eyes and and just pallid, uh, pallid skin tone, <laughs> but yeah. ripped. All right. So the news that Gunn is dealing with. So I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the interviews which with Gunn and Pratt for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I saw one thing that I was like, this is not I'm not I've not been body? watching it. Did you see the body thing? Yes, I did. That was crazy. So this, we'll talk about this in a minute, but yeah, basically there's a scene in the beginning of the film where there's Chris Pratt needs to be carried by Nebula and they have apparently created like a 50 pound or like 45 pound. It's it's 35 pounds. Chris Pratt body that Karen Gillian could carry. And then James Gunn kept it in his office. And then he and he and Chris Pratt basically lost their minds talking about it. It's really funny, but uh, they were talking about how um, the Superman movie and he said, well, just trying to get some ways to work. To, they could wanted to work together again, because if you read all the backstory, Chris Pratt was very involved in getting gun back on Guardians volume three after he was fired with a lot of Jesus quotes. But he said gun joke that Pratt could play crypto in Superman Legacy, Crypto is Superman's dog from the DC Super Dog movie. Um, I was hoping I could cast you as Crypto, the Super Dog, Gunn told Pratt, but you'd have to be like Maria, Maria Balaklova, who voiced Cosmo in Guardians, and you'd have to do motion capture on set and walk around on your hands and knees. <laughs> Gunn refers to Maria ba- ba- Bakalova, who plays Cosmo, so I guess she was there on set. Pratt always ready to lean into a bit called Gunn's comments into the conversation spotlight saying, so it sounds like there's going to be a character called Crypto in Superman, breaking news. And then Toronto, they were talking to the Toronto Sun, said, that's a scoop for me. 
it is a scoop, I guess, huh? Pratt then Raz DC Studio boss saying, way to go, you're fired back to Marvel. <laughs> but <laughs> what they're basically saying is that crypto will be in Superman legacy. Forgive me, I don't have a lot of history on crypto the super dog. Is this it's it's his dog, right? Crypto the Superdog is yes. Crypto the Superdog comes about, I think, in the forties. There, there's this era of Superman history before, like between the Golden Age and the Silver Age, when no other superhero comics are selling. Superman, he over a couple of decades gains all these weird powers, and there's all these bizarre stories that they tell. This is the time when Supergirls introduced, but they also introduce. Crypto the Super Dog, uh, Streaky the Super Cat, Bolt the Super streaky, Horse, Streaky yeah. the Super Cat, and the I think it was Streaky horse? the Super uh, Super, yeah. So there was Amazing. all these Super Somethings or other, and a lot of that stuff kind of went by the wayside as those kinds of stories became less popular to tell. And in some of the bigger continuity resets in the '80s, I think they completely got rid of these characters as having ever existed. And then in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, they brought crypto back into main continuity as a as like a character. It's just like a dog, basically a dog from Krypton who has the same kind of of uh, anatomical benefits that Superman that any Kryptonian gets from the Yellow Sun, and actually plays a really pivotal role in the uh, the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow series that I recommended on this very big broadcast uh, several months ago. Podcast. Do you um, does Krypton crypto? Sorry, the super dog. Does he talk? No, he just is like a dog running around doing stuff. And and in and the the reintroduced continuity, you know, very, crypto's very much a dog, very very smart, but a dog. So loyal to the end and true, and just a, a really wonderful kind of. Sp- I I like what it signals for what the the movie's gonna have. And seeing, and we'll get into this later too. I think that uh that the you know, you know the Cosmo in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was like a great test for this. Mm-hmm. That dog definitely talked. Um, I Hold on, my dog wants to get out. She wanted to come in the room and record, and now she wants to get out of the room. So hold on. Oh, there she is. Hi, dog. We got to tell her, what What do the dogs think is later? Yeah, she's so anxious to talk about Got G, Got G V3. Um, yeah, you know, the, in, the, uh, in the animated movie, uh, crypto is voiced by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So this is an opportunity to get Dwayne the Rock Johnson back into the DC, the DCEU, so he can help shift the the, the power. The power balance of the DC universe is shifted. Hi, I'm Dwayne the Dog Johnson. <laughs> Dwayne the Dog Johnson. Fantastic. <laughs> Dwayne the Dog Johnson. Um, did you see this story? So this this is some of the funniest shit I've ever <laughs> ever read. So Will Poulter, um, amazing actor who plays um, Adam Warlock in the <laughs> this is such a funny story in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. He was in We're the Millers. Uh, he's just a really good uh, actor, British person. He was interviewed um, by with by GQ, and he said, this is the story. A guy at a urinal in L.A. last week turned to me and said, you're in Toy Story, right? Will Poulter said, and I was like, well, that was animated. I didn't want to be rude. The actor admitted that comparison. So the person who 
the person who the guy thought Will Poulter was was Sid from Toy Story. From the animated <laughs> from the animated movie Sid, the kid, the villain from the first story of the first Toy Story movie, which if you watch now, holy cow, it looks like the kind of animation that you see in porno now. Yeah, like it lo- that- <laughs> it looks like the money for nothing video now. Yeah. Like my lord. <laughs> but the fact that a human being went up to another human being and was like, "Hey, are you from Toy Story?" is like just we are in the full simulation, baby. This is nothing is real. Let me take this poor goofball's side and just say that I have had some nights in Los Angeles where I've been at a urinal and thought to myself, huh, there's a cartoon character pissing next to me. So, you know, it, it's not outside the realm of possibility. You know, you might see, look, this is the land of stars. You might see Woody from Toy Story next to you on at <laughs> the story. at the Belmont. From to Story. You might see Woody at to Story. That the <laughs> fact it is just so un but that's just kind of where i feel like are that's where we are character, man. wait he wasn't this is the thing this guy was having a breakdown he wasn't like he wasn't trying to burn this dude and be like you look like the guy from toy he was like no are you a cartoon character i'm having a break right now no i think what this is i'll, I'll get on this guy's side for a second i think what happened was got next to him definitely was like i i know this guy's an actor what's he from and then, for whatever reason, just visually was like, oh, my God, you're that guy from Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then in his head goes, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, yeah, oh, oh, God, no, oh, God. For sure. The second you say that, <laughs> the, you, it is like your your internal monologue is like like record scratching, like p- plane explosions, like just all the like, oh no, like the Oppenheimer mushroom cloud. Oppenheimer are coming in three months. Uh, I, I have I have the way out though. I have the way out. You just go, Sid's the cowboy one, right? And then you're free. You're good to go. Actually, no, this this is the response. Are you talking about Will Poulter says or the guy says Sid's the, the cowboy? The guy says that to him, says no, it's like, oh, phew, says. I got out of it. This is what he says, and he goes, That's all you gotta say. Gotcha. and then just walk away hey hey just walk away psych yeah that'd be funny though right if that was true like what if i did that hey anyway later all right no and then you walk away and then you say hey man have a good piss and you walk away and then just stride out head held high Yep. Like the yep. champion you are. And just like know you're going to get champion. mentioned in a, a weekend newspaper insert interview. Yep. Exactly. You're going to be on one of the one of the most listened to podcasts in interweb. Um, so this is just I didn't put this on the sheet because I just read this this morning um, because I'm a massive dork. I, I watch a television show called Foundation on Apple TV Plus it is based on the Isaac Asimov's Foundation book series. It is some like high science fiction. It is Ooh. very intense. Season 2 finally got a premiere date coming out in July 14th. Is when season 2 The fact that they said that this series series stars Jared Harris is laughable because his character died. But I'm assuming that means his character is going to be coming back. His character literally dies in the first episode hey this is what we're striking for kenny this is what we're striking this is what we're striking for i know hey i definitely wrote this uh i was listening to a pod another podcast not ours 
then it said the following advertisement was written by AI. And I was like, this is why we're, this is why we have to do this. This is why we're striking. Hey, Kenny, hold on a second. Go back and say, I was listening to another podcast, not ours again. Okay. Say it again. No, I won't. I will never. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, to just say it again. Say it again, Kenny. I was listening to another podcast, not ours. Ew. Why? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. But I just wanted to say that we officially got a release date. If you want to watch somebody like if you want to watch like the acting equivalent of hero ball, which in the NBA is basically like you give someone the ball like a LeBron, uh, Stephen Curry. If you want to see like, yeah, the acting equivalent of Stephen Curry's game seven against the Sacramento Kings when he went off for 50 points to lead the Warriors to victory. However, I don't want them to keep winning because they're playing the Lakers now. Lee Pace on the television show Foundation is just allowed to go bonkers and he does and it's worth watching just for that. He is Lee Pace is the chewing the scenery in every scene and it's wonderful. Ronan the Accuser, his very self. Ronan the Accuser is guilty of great acting. Um, <laughs> also, the morphine-addicted cowboy in Tarsum Sings, The Fall. Anyway, yeah. what were you saying? I was going to say it's now time <laughs> for... This is on the fan-controlled sports and entertainment network fan-controlled TV podcast feed. This is our one piece of sports news. Alex, take us to the racetrack, baby. Okay, well, flying around the racetrack almost as fast as an F1 car, its very self, are rumors that underperforming former F2 champ Nick DeVries may be replaced by former McLaren driver and current Red Bull reserve Daniel Ricciardo after Ricciardo was seen at Red Bull sister team Alpha Tauri's HQ for a seat fitting. Uh, Kenny will keep you abreast of all the developments on that story as they come, but very interesting developments. I'm still reeling with the fact that there's an F2. I, I've, with the past six months we've been doing this podcast, I had no idea that there, is it like, is it like soccer? Are we talking like relegation down to F2 or F1? Well, if How many Fs briefly, do we go? How far does the F go? If I may, F stands in these cases for formula, and the formula yes, is a a set of racing rules under which the governing body uh, uh, will only sanction your race. You have to meet these requirements in order for the FIA to sanction your race. So there's Formula One, that's the top. Formula Two is below that. Formula Three is below that. And then there are other formulas that come and go. There's been Formula 3000, Formula Atlantic, Formula Ford, Formula, Formula BMW. All, I, I mean, they all open in Formula 1846. And these are not not insignificant racing series all around the world. They're, they're, they're really, I mean, it, it just like kind of the corollary I think is football. America has its own racing and its own foot sport and even its own open wheel racing. Whereas the rest of the world has their own and it's way bigger over there. Yep. And we're talking about American football, not the tackle ball. I'm talking about, I'm talking about world football, not tackle ball that we play in America. Exactly. Soccer versus American football. There, Got I've it. called them both the wrong thing. Speaking of tackle ball, um, my piece of sports news, I do not want to talk about the Lakers. I don't, even though I'm going to game uh, game six at the Crypto.com Arena on Ooh. Friday. 
Uh, I wish that it wasn't happening. I don't want to talk about Arsenal. They're currently now no longer at the top of the table, one point behind Manchester City. I will talk about tackle ball and say this weekend we have the championship of the XFL. We have the Arlington Renegades taking on the D.C. Defenders in beautiful San Antonio, Texas, neutral site where the San Antonio Brahmas play. I would say the D.C. Defenders are going to be heavily favored in this film. In this film. It's a, it's a film. It's all, it's all stated. <laughs> oh, 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 the fix is in. The fix, the fix is, is in. in. Now we uh, have evidence that the XFL is staged the dc defenders will be heavily favored as arlington was straight garbage the entire season made it into the playoffs because of just division standings and we had a big explosion in game in the semifinals i'm seeing dc winning big bet it here we go uh, i would also bet on the fact that this scheme for choosing who winds up in the playoffs will not be oh, no. uh, changed because l- listen I said last week, the only thing I know about the XFL is that the, a losing team is playing for the championship. So that got their name in my mouth. Like, yeah, get let's name do it in your mouth. Get your name in your mouth. And then after that, we're just straight USFL. USFL, why don't you guys stop being cowards and put a team in the Pacific Standard Time Zone, you jerks? Anyway, um, let's cowards. get to our rogues. cowards. Uh, speaking of rogues. You know, the biggest rogue who I know is my co-host here, Alex Enriquez, who is just constantly out and about, out into the world, braving the elements to try to get us um, underwriting, corporate underwriting for the show. Alex, who is our corporate underwriter for the week? Well, this and thank you for that introduction. This week, I didn't have to go very far because I reached into what we here at Fan Controlled Fandom call the swear jar. Um, anytime we're found to have given incorrect information or or have to go back and, and give a correction, we put a little money in the swear jar and then we do you've longtime listeners know every year we do a big clearing out of all these and we we split the money amongst ourselves. Huge, so huge, um, huge amounts of stuff we have to we have to retract. <laughs> these are corrections, retractions, and redactions for this for this year. So number one, in the episode we released October 19th, 2019, I said that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 would release in 2022. Of course, that was incorrect. It released this year, 2023. Uh, three months ago in episode 361, I, I said that my favorite ice cream was Rocky Road, and it's really mint chip, and I don't know why I said that. It's a minor correction, but we, yeah. we like to be on top of these things. Yeah, I was always um, confused to that one. And in, in September of 1996, Kenny was part of a robbery, and the victim was killed. Kenny ratted out oh. his accomplices in exchange for a lighter sentence. It turns out Kenny actually was the one who choked the victim to death with a woman's stocking and not Cleveland Joe. So again, we're just kind of getting these corrections off the books, just you know, lighten lighten the load of the show a little bit. I so just want to call thanks very much. Double, double jeopardy, you cannot be tried for the same uh, crime twice. No, so. no, and that's why we're free to make these these corrections. X, that's so great. Speaking of uh, something that does not need <laughs> any corrections, uh, let's get to our main topic. Spoiler alert: If you've not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, we're going to be spoiling it. We're going to be spoiling things throughout the greater Marvel universe. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We're going to be spoiling your birthday present surprise. It's a nonstick pan. Um, yeah, don't, yeah, nonstick pans, you know, don't cook with those anymore because it's been known that, if, especially, well, if they're, if you use them, but if they're not, if they're Teflon, don't, don't you be using the Teflon. That's not good for you. Um, with proper want, care, 
but I, I usually stick to cast iron myself. Let's go. Cast iron's the way to go. I want to do a quick uh, synopsis here. I'm going to pull from, pulled from Wikipedia. I'm going to try to make it as quickly as possible. The Guardians of the Galaxy, who are now in charge of nowhere, are attacked by Adam Warlock, a sovereign warrior created by their high priestess Aisha, who is in this movie again as well. Um, Adam Warlock attacks the Guardians and is able to um, almost mortally wound Rocket. Rocket Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon is laying unconscious, and while laying unconscious, they figure out that the Guardian is able to tend to Rocket's wounds because there is a kill switch on his heart that is made by the company Orgo Corp embedded in him. They travel to Orgo Corp headquarters to find the override code. While he's unconscious, we learn, we start to learn about Rocket's past, about how he was a baby raccoon. He was experimented on by the high evolutionary who tried to enhance and anthropomorphize animal life forms to create a counter-Earth. Through that, he becomes befriended by the High Evolutionary's other test subjects, the other, the Otter, Lila, the Walrus, Teefs, and the Rabbit, Floor. The High Evolutionary, we learned that Rocket was the most uh, sophisticated and advanced mind he had ever had. They, in the present, the alternate version of Gamora, who has joined the Ravagers, helps the Guardians infiltrate Orgo Corp. Stuff happens. They were able to eventually uh, get, I'm just going to cut to, this is taking too long. Uh, they are able to uh, get information that leads them to counter earth. They're able to get the kill switch. They're able to revive rocket, take down the high evolutionary at the same time, being able to save all the children that he was developing for his new earth because he's scrapping the counter earth to grow another one. We learned that he has had many of these. Uh, we learned that Rocky even had no intention of keeping rockets friends alive. Uh, he murders them. So we know that rockets whole hero's journey, we get through the entire movie. And at the very end, uh, the the guardians separate. Peter leaves. Mantis leaves. Nebula and uh, Drax stay on nowhere. And then new guardians is formed with uh, uh, Rocket, Groot, Adam Warlock, Kraglin, Cosmo, Philavel, and whose name is never said, but that's who she is. And some weird little animal. That's the movie. Alex, initial reaction to the movie. I was very, very, very pleased with how this all shook out. And I mean that on several levels. I think that uh, James Gunn being brought in is uh, with phase one, I believe. Um, I think technically Guardians is phase two. He's part of this initial suite of people that they chose who are very established people with very established visions and voices. He, Kenneth Branagh, uh, John Favreau, um, all these people that were sort of looked to to steward this thing. And he is of anybody, right? The only one who's gotten to completely tell the story and in a way that served the the broader story through three unique phases. Um, through more than three unique phases. In, th in his movies take place in three distinct phases. Um, I think that it, it's his care his care for the the world the the characters and everything and for the fans really showed i think it's a movie i told my wife last night it seemed like the kind of movie that only somebody who'd been in therapy could kind of approach it felt very wow. therapized mm. um and yeah overall just like terrific i think it might be the best one out of all three and i just watched the first two right before i went to the third movie what a, what a fun adventure, really, really funny, very emotional at times, super emotional at, at certain points for me personally. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, what a, what a ride. Yeah. For me, I'll just say that, you know, we've watched, we've watched a lot of content on this uh, podcast on we've, we've 
watched a lot of movies of all the movies that we've watched we've watched some we've seen some dogs literal <laughs> and figurative you know black adam avatar the lost episode of shazam fury of the gods we've seen some okay movies some pretty good movies some good movies we've seen you know wakanda forever um we both loved the batman um all that being said this movie pardon my french fucking rules just yeah. absolutely fucking rules and it's an it's such a testament to what that i van lathan made this point and then i want to make another point but van lathan made this point on the rigor verse and they're talking about their instant reactions the thing that made the overall movie just an absolute great time is this idea you know a lot of um, uh, marvel movies post endgame there is this big thing that we're trying to stop. It's usually the end of the world. We're always, you know, the Eternals is the end of the world. It's no way home. It's the multiverse collapsing, the multiverse collapsing in multiverse of madness. It's always this huge, massive, the quantum realm. Kang is coming. There's this huge, huge thing we're trying to stop. But this movie is a, at its core. And what the whole plot of the movie is, is just saving your friend. It is just this idea of basing everything in the characters and the set pieces built around them and then letting those characters be themselves to where they've got everyone has an arc, everyone has a resolution, everything feels right, nothing is like, huh, or what, or uncomfortable, and is at times hysterically funny is at times like gut-wrenchingly sad it's just a it's the movie fucking rules it rules yeah what a what a amazing yeah just a romp a ride and i agree with what you're with all of your points um yeah i i I think that it's also such a terrific sort of audition for what we know he's going to be doing in this next James Gunn is going to be doing in this next phase of his career in terms of direct there's parts of this that I'm like oh I I bet I bet that'll look good in a Superman movie um totally and I feel like he he even took stuff from the stuff he did with DC with the, the fact that he made this movie after he made Suicide Squad and after he made Peacemaker because there are portions of this movie and I don't know if it's because he's been given I, my understanding is that he was pretty much given carte blanche with this film um, from what I had read. They basically just, you know, they didn't cause they gave, they handed him kind of a, like a, you know, in between two and three, one of his major characters that he was trying to establish a Sam and Diane relationship with was murdered. <laughs> and yes, of all the people who come back, Gamora does not come back. She stays dead. And, the, you know, Peter Quill says that as such, which I'm like, yeah. And so that's what he's handed. And then to then, because of that, to basically do whatever he wanted to do. But we get this, like, there are some parts in this movie. This movie is a PG-13 movie, quote unquote. But people get, like, sawed in half. There is a face, like a red, like a face that has been scratched to bits. That is, like, there. I mean, yeah. it is not, it is... And there's one F-bomb, which is hilarious to me that you can have all the slicing and dicing and people's faces coming off, but you can only say F once. And they did in a Marvel movie, which I believe is the first time that's ever happened. 
I I would agree with that. Uh, I, I think there there's some wonderful there's a wonderful documentary uh, about the MPAA that came out maybe in like two thousand three two thousand four. Great sort of showcase on how arbitrary and sometimes not so arbitrary their decision making can be in terms of like the influence that they allow to kind of pervade their their system. And 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 yeah, the idea that that while the the actual uh, you know lewdity or violence didn't hit a certain threshold uh but you know to be an r rating but some of that very disturbing energy and intensity doesn't meet the the threshold of an r is is a little head scratchy to me and i'm not even a parent but i and i'll, I'll just say like you know we're, we're going to talk about rocket's backstory but that's where a lot of my sort of personal affectedness came from uh, yeah i think a lot of us did i mean let's just let's just go there let's dive in so we learn so we've never learned rocket story he's always been very hesitant in in every every time we've seen him he's always been very hesitant about what his story is we know that we can all physically see physically see that he's a raccoon but he won't let anybody even call him a raccoon he is, and we finally get this story of him, and we learn that he was a raccoon who was then um, experimented on with, you know, and and then we learn he has these four, he had these four friends that he basically grew up with, and they grew up all thinking that the high evolutionary was going to take them to counter Earth, to paradise, up to the sky, which was a lie. But the thing that was so interesting about this to me was that I mean, Lila is, you know, heart melting, but Teefs and Floor are, they're a lot to take in. <laughs> it's like cute. They're, they're not. These things have been, have been disfigured, but they're still essentially what they are. It's, it's, it's a compelling kind of uh, dichotomy set up there. It's definitely, there's, there's nothing I take issue with it from a creative standpoint. Mm -hmm, the the character designs are really cool and and yeah on purpose you're you're given this really horrific thing that you're going to fall in love with basically yes um, and i think that's that's something that recurs in james gunn's work that i'm familiar with at least like that 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 seems like an idea an appealing idea to him the the beautiful ugly um and and but but yeah, you know, having I, I would just say that if you have had to say goodbye to a pet in the last month or so, <laughs> brace yourself in Guardians, because there's a lot of traumatized animals. There's a lot of traumatized animals thrown in cages there. It, and it was it was quite a bit to hand. I mean, just I'll say it like we said goodbye to my dog uh, two weeks ago today. Mm -hmm. And seeing that last night was a little PTSD ish. For me, sure. and and definitely not something I'm looking for from my Marvel movies. But again, that's 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 my particular case and state at this moment. And 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 none of that is to say it didn't none of it, that it didn't work or that it was. I take any other issue with it or take creative issue with it particularly. Oh no, I yeah I, I agree. I don't I it, it to me it was like because I was thinking in the back of my mind watching this was. You know, my child, the only Marvel movies that my daughter has seen are the Guardians and she wants to see Guardians 3. And I'm like, well, we kind of have to watch Infinity War and Endgame first. Otherwise, you're going to be very confused what's going on with Gamora. 
Right. Um, I was watching it and man, floor has like a, like metal thing, like sewed over her mouth. Like it's, she's in a saw movie and that's like a lot. That is, that is definitely a lot, but you're right. Like they're at the crux of these films for all of them. Well, one, two, and three is this idea of, um, I think James Gunn is always into is this idea of misfits of rejects. We are all people who, and found family and what that means and how, even though, even though the world is trying to tell you, you are not something to be loved. You are, no one is, should be denied that everybody should have an opportunity to be loved, feel like part of a family, et cetera. And it got, it just works when you contrast that, with what's happening in the current part of the film, which is like, they're trying to save this friend, like his old friends and his new friends are acting in the same way, which is looking out for him. And you can see that throughout his life, you understand why he is so standoffish in the first two movies and where he is now. It, it just works, man. It really does. It's interesting too, I think to, to in the third part of your story where you're trying to like close loops to have so much of this, of the story, so much of what is pushing the narrative forward, take place in the past. And yeah, totally it, it does, but it does make, I, I will say this, that all of that makes some of what happens later and how rocket resolves the situation of the film, uh, you know, makes it a little bit more satisfying um, you know, you're like, oh, good. He's he's getting to brutalize the high evolutionary now instead of instead of us having to watch an animal get get abused. You know, we could thank thank God he's abusing a person now. That I can take. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, fuck people. Pardon my French. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. So here's something that I saw somebody posit that you know someone was trying to say that the reason why there was a leaning into Rocket was because of kind of Chris Pratt kind of oversaturation or like people tired of him or, you know, the fact that he is basically a sang on the January 6th song with, with Trump. With his, with his um, brother who I, I I've seen rumors is a racist cop. Yeah, no, his brother. Yeah, totally. Anyway. Um, so people were saying like, Oh, well that's why we get, um, a, a star Lord isn't the front. And also too, I don't know, I guess I put this in, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but whatever, we're just having a discussion about this great movie that we both like. So going into a lot of people were pissed at star Lord for what he did in infinity war, which was they basically had Thanos cornered. They almost had the infinity gauntlet off his hand. And then Thanos says that, you know, he killed Gamora and that throws, and like, oh, Star-Lord caused the death of trillions of people. And I'm like, I personally don't give a crap about that stuff because right. I knew I knew going in that this they weren't going to get that handoff. So there's a there I know there's going to be another movie, so why why would it end here? And I also too, I mean, I'll get into this at some point. Um I am like a big I I don't ship really any fictional characters. I just don't, I'm, I'm like a person who's alive in my forties and I don't need to do that. But for whatever reason I ship 
Star-Lord and Gamora. I don't know. I don't know why I want to see those two particular characters end up together, but I do in a very like real way. So I'd be like, hell yeah. He killed, I mean, he killed, what if like Star, like Thanos took my love of my life and threw her off a cliff and I'm supposed to be like, no, focus on this. Like I, I, right. I but people were really upset about it for like, he got like a lot of sh- shit for it. Star-Lord. And, did. and, don't do that if you're gonna do that if you're gonna get mad at the actions of a character don't do it if you if you feel i will say that to you the listener if you feel that feeling start to rise in you if you are able to go outside and take three take as many deep breaths as possible for that feeling to pass okay yeah go ahead i hear you um, but anyway, so there was some thought that going into this movie that we got off of Star-Lord as the front part of the movie. And, you know, he does have an arc. He does have his own story that completes his whole story in a very, like, fulfilling way, I think. Absolutely. And, and even closes up the idea about he and Gamora, about this This isn't the same Gamora, you know, Um but people were thinking that, you know, oh, Rocket is the point, and that's why. But I do think the first movie, the second movie is definitely Peter's story. I think the first movie ends up being ultimately Gamora's story because of where she is and who she is. Very much so. And so I feel like that's the track of the movie. We're not going to get Drax or Groot's story because there isn't much there because they're also, you know, they're comedic relief. And Mantis, we got some of her story. So I, to those people who say that, I say no. I agree, and I think that it, it – I don't know if it's actually this, but it does seem like a major flex for for James Gunn to say, hey, remember, remember when you were all very upset when Tony Stark died? Get ready for me to make you cry about a little cartoon raccoon man. Like, we're going to – we're going to – we're pardon my French. We're gonna fuck you up with this guy. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, one hundred percent. You're gonna. You're. And th- and th- this is actually a side side thing. Uh, it used to be this. This sort of crystallized for me last night watching the movie. My whole life, especially as a kid, my dad and I used to watch all these like behind the scenes things and special effects, how they did it. And if you, it, you know, for the first like half of my life if you saw something in a movie that you didn't know how it was done there was some big story that was like oh these uh a handful of guys up in van nuys they they cobbled something together they exploded a thing blah 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 blah, all that stuff we made a robot now if you see something in a movie you don't know how they did it it's just computers there's a there's yeah people with wrist braces in in on the west side worked way too long hours over a computer to just kind of draw it that way yeah and i think we've lost something but anyway you 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 know that's an aside of an aside (laughs) side of an aside let's talk about um some of the other characters who was like beyond any of the characters beyond rocket whose story did you find fun interesting funny anyone that we need to call out like just off the top of your head i found gamora's story to be very interesting and engaging navigating the entire thrust of her thing where she is a unique individual who they all used to know but don't is and and who she is now and especially her connection to the ravagers and seeing that resolve with oh she does have her family amongst the ravagers um i thought that was such an interesting 
uh, story. I, I also thought that they did some interesting things with Star-Lord. I think it's counterintuitive to take your take your your charming smiley heroes to dark places and have them make mistakes. You know, he says it like if I hadn't been drunk, dot, dot, dot. You know, that's a and that feels like a very therapized place to tell a story from, too. Um, but yeah, I, the sequence where, you know, you get to see him use the Star Lord charm. Yes. was very interesting to me. I thought that was OK, cool. I, 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 I you know, not that they did all of this setup with with Star Lord that you'd need these moments because he just sort of fumbles through. But I am always glad for a moment that's written in where you see the character get to be good at the thing they say they're good at. Yes, I that is an excellent point. And I feel like every person in this movie was given the opportunity to do so, which is what you want from a third movie. You want expansion of the characters. You want expansion of their experience, but you also don't want to lose what they're good at. And yeah, there's that moment where Pete, Peter Quill is like, I'm going to go um, turn on the Quill charm. And he goes, try to hit and And it kind of works and it kind of doesn't. And the banter, the writing is really good. I thought Drax like the the kind of evolution of his character from being the destroyer and murder murder to being like the thing that we forget about him that he you know he lost uh, not just his family but his child he doesn't get to be a father anymore and now he's like ends up being this kind of um impromptu dad for all these manufactured children <laughs> that don't have a dad um and just his, he always, Batista's always crushes. He's so funny in this part. He is so good. He is so good. And his banter with Palm, there's rapport with Palm Clementif as Mantis. Mantis has, there's that whole sequence where she's like, doesn't want to get into a fight. But then when they get into a fight, she just like rocks it. Like the action sequences and set pieces in this are just great. 100%. Like, like not just like, not just like cool stunts, but like, interesting setups to where we get things like the way the movement and the way the camera is moving. It's just, it just works really well. And I do think, yes, Gamora's um, the fact that I think the reason why they keep saying this is the last, this is the last, the last ride or whatever. And somebody who reads red guardians comics, like I have to know that that will know this isn't the last, like the guardians of the galaxy, has had all kinds of different people in it. And by the end of the movie, there is different people in it. But the reason why it's the reason why exactly the reason why this is the last ride for this particular is not because of even what happens at the end. It's because of Gamora. It's because she needed, we have everybody together again. Like the guardians weren't when they were out nowhere and help. That's where they live now. And that's where they're, they were out doing things, but they didn't have Gamora. And then they had Gamora for an adventure and not just like coming along, but like invested in it and realizing and realizing not just who these people are, but who these people, how these people affected me and being able to understand that more at the end and know that like, okay, like you're right. Like she can go back to her ravagers and be like, and understand what it's like to have a found family. Um, and and to know that her and Peter, I mean, it could still happen. I'm always, but I do I do have an idea as to why that's not going to happen. But you know that it's it, they just resolved everything. 
really well and everyone got a chance to do be themselves and operate it was great i i brought up you know plenty of times on the big broadcast here that i'm a fan of when people do like little efficient tricks as writers or um, pull things off in a technical way that i'm impressed by i think far too often we, we you and i talked about this that that oh these who's gonna die who's gonna die you yeah. know, people have said, I'm not coming back. We know that they don't have contracts for further movies with yes. Marvel, whatever. So we immediately go, who's going to die? And again, what a flex it is to not kill anybody, not make that the ultimate reason somebody's not coming back, but through character development, give each of those characters a reason that they can't come back. Drax can't come back to be involved in any of the further adventures because he's got to take care of the kids. You know, there's there's important things going on in each of these characters' universes that might preclude them from being in, uh, you know, secret crisis number four. Yeah. And I, I think that that's and, you know, hey, we came up with a story where we flooded Drax with a thousand children. Well, of course, Drax can't join. He's got the kids. That is an absolutely excellent point on urine that i thought of when i was watching i was like we went into this thinking that like well batista is definitely gonna die and um zoe saldana said she's this is the last time she's doing gamora we're like well she's gonna have some kind of love moment with peter and then she's gonna die and then peter's gonna have like and that's gonna be the reason why he's gonna leave and yada 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 but no nobody dies and everybody lives and everybody lives and and comes to conclusions that are wholly organic and based on not just what happens in this movie, but in the character in general, like, you know, when, when Gamora leaves and Peter fully comes to the conclusion that like, this isn't who I've loved and everybody around me who I've loved has died and except my grandpa. And I've, and I've never gone back to see my grandfather. So of course he's got to go. Like, I mean, it's like, of course he has to leave. So he can just for his own soul to know that like I I can't just be not there for people. His 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 by the way, everybody, the story is all of them healing their trauma. Yes. They all heal their core wounds. But yes. it's it's a little worse for Peter because this is the person he fell in love with. This is the individual that he fell in love with, but it is but he can't be with her. Yeah. Because it's a different individual at the same time and accepting that and the way that they introduced that idea to him. And like I said, it, it really did. It really did strike me that all of these characters are, are actively healing trauma, not pushing through or making it to the other side of it, but doing the work to heal. Doing the work, baby. This is a pro mental health movie. What did we think of some of the newer characters that we got in this movie? Adam Warlock, Cosmo. Cosmo was in the holiday special, but given a lot more work, the high of what do we think about? Well, it's just Adam Warlock. What did we think about Adam Warlock? I really enjoyed Adam Warlock's character. I felt like he didn't necessarily need to be there. Um, there were there was some there were there felt like there was a little bit of finagling to keep him in the story. I think I needed I needed the introduction of their the their want, he and the high priestess. I needed the intro of their want a little sooner. Yeah, because um, at a certain point they're fighting against and they, they call this out. Hey, we're fighting against each other. We work for the same guy. And I needed I needed that to be kind of a running running alongside of it a little sooner. Than yeah, it, it was definitely introduced. was almost like, a yeah, we teased this guy at the end of volume two. So we got we got to see him and they just went for it. 
and then kind of like backwards it in by saying they had been hired by the high evolutionary. But as a character, I, I thought he was great. I thought Will Poulter's performance was great. I think we have like, as the guardians are moving forward, we have like, I don't want to say he's like Draxian, but he does kind of have that like Drax kind of naivete that was just worked so well when in outer space. I had the same exact thought, especially going into the end where it was like, oh, wait a minute. They're they're not all dying. What's so how are they going to close this this loop? Um you know, I thought, well, there's going to be two dumb, strong guys on the team. But yeah, no, I, I I knew once they announced that in my back of my mind, I didn't know I wanted I needed to see it. But my my in my mind, it was, well, Adam Warlock, because Adam Warlock has been a member of the Guardians. So like I knew that he was going to I knew Batista, but I didn't know that they were going to have like temperaments that would complement because you can't. To have a big, strong personality like Rocket, there has to be somebody to make Rocket go like, come on, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, there has to be that comic foil. And I just thought he was great. I thought, I love the part where they, you know, take him out or whatever, make him talk, and he just like fries the person. Like, there's something (laughs) so interesting about like a, a baby or an infant having like just unbelievable power scaling, just can fly, can strong can shoot things out of his arms can take down all of the guardians like i thought it was interesting i do think we don't forget sidebar we don't for we forget because the guardians are so down to earth in their interactions how powerful they are when they're fighting like drax is an unbelievably skilled fighter strong gamora is graceful Nebula is, you know, Peter is a, is a great shot. Nebula has this like, you know, T T2 arm now. Um, Mantis, which was great. Like, which was great. Um, Mantis is super strong and can fight. Totally. What do we think of the high evolutionary of I've heard Marvel always has like a villain problem sometimes, although we've gotten some pretty excellent villains over the course I, I, of phase four and five. I, I've, I know I've heard that trope over and over and I've like, I have never really understood what it meant. Um, This, I can tell you, though, is not an example of it. I thought he was great. Uh, The character design was terrific. The performance was amazing. And especially when you think about the the idea that this guy is mostly, for most of his shoot, he's screaming at a stuffed animal. And what he's able to bring to that is is pretty incredible. Um, I, I definitely would love to see more from the character. Little horror show there at the end, but... Oh it, well, it was. Uh, it didn't scare what, me though. I wasn't scared of it. I didn't. It did. I didn't get a scared because I knew it was fake. But it was really grisly. I was gonna say there that when he when the literal face off. The fact fact too. I want to say too that the thing I appreciate about <laughs> Gun, the fact that throughout the course of the film, Peter Quill is talking about there. It's a trap. It's a trap. No, it's a face off. It's a face off. They were going into this. Peter, it's a trap. No, it's a face off. And then at the end, it literally <laughs> is a face off. <laughs> Like, holy cow. Like, I just love, like, I love comedic simplicity slash stupidity like that. Like, that is so in my comedic wheelhouse. Like, that's like, perfect. That's like Edgar Wright stuff that I just, where it's like, but that to me shows a filmmaker who just know, like, you is you are in good hands, knows how to shape this thing and how to work it 
And it just, there might've been one or two many face-off bits earlier in the film. Like they probably could have only done it a couple times, but the fact that they did it like four or five times and then the face actually came off. And then you don't even have to say it. You don't have to have a face-off joke there. You just, we did it is incredible. Incredible. I, I and, and as a, as a capital W weirdo, I was watching this thing and, you know, after the big fight, the high evolutionary, one of those little tabs that's attaching his face to his skull is kind oh, of flapping. So intense. And I was sitting there going like, you know, if I had a, a skin tab that was keeping the mask of my <laughs> face on my skull and it kind of came, I'd be picking at that thing and worrying at it for I'm glad they just peeled it off. I mean, I that was satisfying to me. There were so many times where I was like, yeah, I would be picking that. Like the ends would be frayed a little bit, you know? <laughs> my, we'd be, we'd be sitting watching succession. My wife would look over at me and she'd go, have you been picking at your face tabs again? Stop picking yeah. your face tabs. So, sorry, mask. I wasn't even thinking about it. She like put some witch hazel on the witch on your face tabs. Put some witch for inflammation. Hazel on it. No, I thought in terms <laughs> like yeah, that's incredible. In terms of bad guys, like you know, we in the first one we had Ronan. Ronan was a good bad guy. I thought Ego was a little over the top. The second one goes like I think the reason why I love this one, I think it is better than the third, the second one, is because I think it did stay, which is wild to say grounded more um but i think the reason why they have a high evolutionary is such a great villain is because we see enough of him doing bad things in his backstory we don't get a full like why is he obsessed with this but we get enough of a backstory of him and how bad he can be that when you're in the present it adds the stakes are there. You know what I mean? 100%. I absolutely agreed. I, I thought that was another, a, 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 an interesting benefit again of advancing the narrative through flashback. Yes. Because um, we don't, we don't see, we see like, you know, mask uh, face, face attachments in the present, but in the past we don't. So we know that that something has happened there until we see rocket literally scratch his face. So it added some weight and some stakes that was just interesting and fun. I think it to adding the weight and stakes, you know, I think for the typical viewer, you could have stopped at, at labeling the high evolutionary as a CEO. We know he's evil. Now you show him brutalizing animals and trying to take over the world and destroying people. Like, okay, we get it. You know, yeah. you could have just said CEO guy. We all go, oh, boo. Yeah, you know, is, this is what we're striking against. Yeah, exactly. You see, like the high evolutionary is trying to take IP and have an AI bot write it, and then, but then only have it be ten episodes, so that the scripty only gets ten episodes, but it's an exclusive contract, so they can't work on anything else for the rest of the year. Um, seriously, hey, you remember remember eat that Neil Diamond shit Ted Sarandos? Um, yeah, eat 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 a eat a short full of fart. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to say. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Do you know the rumor that, so um, we haven't touched on it too much on this podcast because we, uh, for the most part in our lives, tend to um, believe people um, uh, who are the victims of sexual assault, especially any sort of spousal assault. We are on the support of those people. We um, support um, victims. We usually are, are, are very much on the side of that. We know that Jonathan Majors has been arrested and um, has been indicted for assaulting on his wife. Um, he has lost a lot of jobs because of those things, deservedly so. And of course, he was cast as Kang and was really great in Quantum Mania. He's going to be Kang again in um, 
Loki for sure, season two, but they're leaning, apparently the rumors are more and more they are leaning to towards replacing him, which I'm, I support as well. I've heard John uh, David Washington, I think his name is, Denzel Washington's son, who's really great. But I'd want him for a hero. Some people are saying, and I'm going to butcher the hell out of this guy's name, but the guy who plays a hell of a missionary, Chuck Wadi Uwuji, who was in um, Peacemaker 2. He's a great actor. They are saying, just make him Kang. And the high evolutionary was one of Kang's variants. I think that's an easy, easy parallel. And I, and I don't even, I was, I, I kept trying to square it in my head too, that it wasn't just a, oh, swap the black guys thing. But really from his, the megalomania of the character, even the design of the yes, character, the, the color suit, schemes, yes, the power 100%. set. Every, when, when he was doing these things that were like turned out to be manipulating gravity, he said he was able to devote some of his brain to manipulating gravity. It felt very much to me like Kang's power set. And I think, you know, it's the advantage of setting up this, oh, there's an infinity of them, you know, kind of concept. Also, you can also not explain anything because uh, what's his face? Rhodes. Yeah, or Harris, Harrison Ford is going to be playing Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, uh, Ed Norton. Where's Ed Norton? Yeah, where is Ed Norton? That's a question that everyone is asking. Where up his own is, butt. Where, <laughs> up his own butt. What was... I have a couple questions here we're going to get through. Um, what was your favorite set piece or action sequence? Like, what was... Of all the things, we had the fight at the oh, Oscorp. I keep calling it Oscorp. I know it's not that. Um there was all the space battles. There was the the the, the sequence coming through the kind of uh, track home area. Like what what was that's probably a more funny piece. What was your favorite? I know what mine was, but you can go ahead. I'll let you cook first. The big hallway fight scene was yep, so. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I, I think that there are so many ways that like we've seen that so many times before, and it like it can kind of get a little googa. And I think for two things, I think it was well executed oh, as a 100%. piece of cinema, easy to watch and not visually confusing at all. But secondarily, like having read comic books my whole life and having read a lot of team comic books, you see these frozen panels of three to seven individuals flying at the same obstacle. And there's there's so many times when you look at it and you're like, well, they just get in each other's way. Why are they a fucking team? They would just, <laughs> but like he, I think he might've had, I think James Gunn might've had the same experience and the same question and then resolved it with this great, like, Oh no. And they, these people have, are super powerful and good at coordinating together. This is why the team. Yeah. And, and, is, yeah. and I think, I think that's, you know, this is why the team is also the, the arc and the struggle for every single person in the movie uh, almost, but it's like, you know, the found family themes or whatever, but yeah, I just think as a, as a piece of media showing how a superhero team operates, I thought it was pretty unparalleled. Yeah. I thought it was, that is, I was totally, that's like the best like sequence of the film action sequence. It's just like, Hey, we did all this great character work. We've done all the work. Now we're going to let these people do what they do. And we're going to shoot it really cool. And we're going to send it to freaking Beastie Boys. And it's just going to be like everybody and everybody. It's just was great. It's a great, it's an earned sequence. We don't get a lot of earned action sequences in these movies. And we also don't get a lot of like actual stunt work 
happening. Like, yes, there's definitely some digital stuff going on because we got like, you know, half, you know, alien people, half robots, half walruses attacking, but we're getting a lot of stunt work. Like a lot of these big fights are usually like digital person fighting digital person, you know, like the end of black Panther or quantum mania or Shang Chi. It's like Shang Chi on a, on a dragon. Like we got a lot of digital set. This is, was just, we are in a hallway and we actually shot this on a green screen. I love, I love that. Uh, Yeah. The, the, and I think that's something that Star Wars has been a lot more successful with as a a kind of a universe and a franchise late, especially since the Disney takeover, uh, the, the, the mixing of practical effect with digital effect, but they have the advantage of that having been a part of the aesthetic the entire time that, that the, the, moment to moment where you look at one shot and go, well, that looks janky as hell. And the next one makes your jaw drop is sort of ingrained in star Wars's DNA in a way that it's not for Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. There's still, that was the thing I was about this movie too. This movie felt like a pre end game MCU film. And I think, cause it was, it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't putting forth, because a lot of the other, the big problem, I don't want to say that MCU has a problem because I still love all the movies and go and have a great time. But I think one of the things that they're kind of butting up against is this idea of how much is this executing towards something else? Whereas like earlier MCU films were like subtly doing that. But this one is just, this is what we're doing. I am focused on these five characters five or six characters helping their friend who's going to die. And that's it. And that's what we're doing. And that's all where we're living. And we're just living there. This person behind the counter is not, you know, could potentially be this person or that person or who is a cue to this or a clue to that. It's just, it was as is. And it felt like that. And I felt like that's, that's what that fight scene was like the epitome of it. I think there's something to, you, you mentioned this before too, you know, that instead of saving the universe, we're saving our friend. Well, I want to shout out to and Van Lathan who came up with that, but yes. we. Oh, so I think this is a sentiment we've talked about before where there are these stories where the stakes are set in that space, but it's not, the, the thing is like saving the friend, the, the friend is a universe. And that's not just for those characters, it's for us too. We're, we are, are saying that that struggle is that fight is worthy of our attention yes. of of the journey and i i don't know i think that's that's really that's very impressive it's and it's and it's a it's a trick that james gunn pulled out in the open over all of us to make us kind of fall in love with these misfit characters in a way we have yeah. i think you and me and maybe fandom generally have a different connection to these guardians of the galaxy characters than maybe just about any of the other Marvel offering. A hundred percent. A couple things before we get out off, get off of this, get off on this. What anyway, uh, get off on. um, Obviously these movies have rely heavily on the music. Um, there was a Zune in this movie, not a tape. So we're, we're into some more current songs as opposed to kind of living in the era when Quill was still on Earth. What do you think of the music in this movie? Um, well, first of all, having just reviewed the Guardians movies, I was thinking going into the third one, 
James Gunn, obviously, there's a lot of personal connection to these movies, the stories, the music is his taste, which is like at a certain point you you go, how old is Peter Quill? Because he's probably in his 30s, was kidnapped from uh, from Earth in like the 80s, but somehow has the musical taste of a 50 year old man. <laughs> and, and then they, they kind of they kind of hit it in this movie. We're like, how old are you? The whole joke about like, I don't know, people die like in their 50s. Oh, so you're going to die soon? I'm not 50. That's that's, that's a great great pick. But I I thought that from moment one with Creep, I thought that was so affecting. Watching Rocket's connection to the music is is really – some of it is a little, oh, you got to use that song. But uh, look, anytime I can hear Space Hog ripping over uh, over the, the big THX speakers, baby, come on, I'm in for it. Yeah, I loved the use of creep because that's like I mentioned earlier, like we're operating in this space of this movie of not just the present, but in the past of I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. Like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. That is what everyone in this movie is going. I mean, it like hits it on the head. And then, yeah, the use of like songs, but the way that they're used in these films are just, yeah, the space hog, but like specifically to like the kind of slow going through space in their color-coded space suit set to space hog, incredible. Adam Warlock flying through space in his first appearance, like way off in the screen and then coming towards us set to crazy on you by heart. I mean, amazing, <laughs> just like incredible stuff. The Florence and the machine thing at the end was like, okay, fine, whatever. But it was a very celebratory uh, take but like and then you know i'm a big i mean i'm a huge bc boys fan i know when i right. get something off license to ill i know that that's the one record that they don't have um license over def jam still owns that record so that's why you do see like fight for your right to party and like an talking animal movie um <laughs> but not so much anything else that they do however though watching a fight scene set to no sleep till brooklyn is just unbelievable just like yeah such that was a, pretty good such a cool thing so yeah i feel like he's you know expanded out because we have a zoom so we can literally rocket goes to the 2000s and everything's organized by decade but the fact that we're still kind of operating in these like perfect little choices for things so good now we're at almost to the end here of our almost hour long talk of this excellent Probably the best movie we've watched on this show, period. I I would say. Uh, it's up there. It's up there. Yeah. Um, so at the end, we get a new Guardians, which I've already read the lineup. I, I think we're obviously, I think we're going to see these people again. I don't think that the Guardians of the Galaxy, because I've said before, we're going to have a secret war. We need sides. We need teams. So we're going to get them. So is right. We're going to get another. We're going to see Rocket Raccoon again, right? And Groot. 100%. And I, I think that both of those roles are are easy enough and low impact enough that you can always get those actors back. But they're also like not distinct enough that you can't just voice match them the next time you need them. Uh, uh, yeah. So so I think I, I'm really excited for those those opportunities to cause it feels like people in the broader public are learning the language you learn from reading comic books. And the idea that, oh, there's these teams and the rosters all shift. And it's about the idea of where the corner of the universe that 
you know, universe with a capital U, universe with a lowercase U that these particular people take on. And and I've brought up in the past too, Guardians of the Galaxy is one of those teams that's like the Avengers sort of taken on these cross IP opportunities. So Venom and The Thing have been in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is a very, very interesting opportunity. That's where I want to go next because yes, I do agree. I do agree. There are people who are in the Guardians who we have not seen yet, who we are going to be seeing. Like fan- we have seen Thing or Fantastic Four is coming. Somebody who we have also seen in the Guardians is Kitty Pride has been in the Guardians. We get at the end of the movie, we get this really funny scene between uh, Peter Quill and his grandpa talking about how he's vacuuming. Oh, he's not vacuuming. He's mowing somebody's lawn, but the guy watching him is like almost the same age as him. So it kind of feels weird why he's mowing his lawn when he can totally do it. Funny little bit. And then this title card comes up that says, the legendary Star-Lord will return. So there's all different kinds of um, things that that could mean. It doesn't mean that it's Chris Pratt. The Star-Lord has been other people. Um, uh, Nova, who has never shown up yet, has been Star-Lord. But let's just say it is Peter Quill. And Peter Quill is now at a place in his life where he understands that the love of his life, Gamora, is not with us in terms of not just... The, the physical embodiment is, but not the personality, not the emotional connection. Could they get together at some point? Sure. However, if the money's right in comics lore, Peter Quill and Kitty pride are a thing an item. They are hot and heavy. Peter at one point actually takes some time off with the guardians to just kind of, <laughs> romp around the universe with Kitty Pride getting into trouble. And that's what starts the whole black vortex run of comics, which I'll probably just, I've re- recommended before I'll recommend it again, but we are getting an X-Men movie. So who's to say that Peter Quill is not going to show up in X-Men Peter uh, uh, Kitty Pride was played by Elliot page. I do not think that's who they're going to be casting. They're going to age the character up. I think um, not because I don't believe Elliot Page uh, could do the role, but I do think because if they want to angle it towards to be a love interest for Kit, for Star-Lord, I think she needs to be, um, this is going to sound crazy. I just think like physically doesn't match well. Is that terrible? Does that sound terrible? Elliot Page is so tiny. Yes. And you, and you need it, you need Pratt to show up on set, and you know he's going to be like, "What is this? Uh, you you want me to call you Elliot? I don't get it. What are your pronouns? I don't know what that means." Right. What's a? I, you know, he, he Chris Pratt is the kind of guy that'll come into a thing and say, "I don't believe in pronouns," and you go, "Cool thing to say." Um, <laughs> cool thing to say. I, I'm sorry. Maybe I mean, not. I don't, I don't know. I just I, I think they'll probably recast. I don't think they're going to bring back any of the previous X Men characters unless it's a sideways thing. That's why. That's why. That's what I really mean by that. I think they're recasting. Well, Elliot's the also. Elliot's also. Elliot's also male, or a, a yeah, but a, they, a man. She, you're right. She does play on Umbrella Academy. She did. Sorry, he did play. Her care, he did play his character, which was a woman, to start off the season because in between seasons is when he um, transitioned, changed pronouns, had top surgery, I think, even. Um, 
and then they the character switched genders in the show. So you're right. But I feel like the character was a stat. We've already established that Kitty Pride. So that's what I'm saying. Like if they were to bring Kitty Pride in, he would have to be a he. We've we've also established a young Kitty Pride. And like they've definitely Kitty Pride's role in the X-Men for like 25 years was as the perpetual. She was the original Jubilee. She was like the perpetual teenager yes. of the group. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been very interesting stories that have happened like like her and star lord like like um not that we love this guy but joss whedon's run of astonishing <laughs> x-men tell some really fun stories Urban. with her and colossus that are only possible because she's like regarded as an adult yeah no an she's, adult person that's what i was gonna say too like um elliot page's portrayal of kitty pride in the x-men movies is as the like yeah plucky teen you know but in the and in I, the I like the i like the plucky teen grown up into a, a an adult who and like how that informs who they are now and what, yeah. how that makes her a match for somebody like Peter Quill. Yeah, because she Kitty even, Pride. she even then in the comics they she even then Peter after they're gallivanting around the universe Peter then becomes a king of a world for his father Jason um in the comics and then Kitty Pride then joins the Guardians and takes over as the leader of the Guardians. So I'm just saying the door is open now for Kitty Pride. That's where I think we're going. Alex, e easy question here. Is this Star Wars or Star Trek? This is Star Warsy, baby. I mean, he, I read a, a couple of lines from an interview that James Gunn recently gave saying that, you know, he wasn't trying to make Star Wars, but he wanted to embody the same kind of spirit and, you know, the the romp across these exotic locations with interesting people that Star Wars represents. And I think taking that as a touchstone is never a bad thing. I've always said that the Guardians, when I was describing this to somebody in 2014, when the first one came out, who was like, I don't get what's going on. I was like, this is all you need to know. This is Star Wars meets Indiana Jones. That's all you need to know. Yep. It is. It is. We have the Rapscallion. We have Han Solo. But they're they're searching for things. I mean, this is yeah, this is Star Wars. Like Star Trek couldn't do this kind of banter on its best day. It just couldn't. It doesn't have the capability to to be that self no. self referential as this. Star does. Trek pushes its glasses up its nose and continues studying for tomorrow's exam. Yeah, Star Trek is the well actually of television of science fiction <laughs> properties. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> Holy pardon my French shit. That was well, great. Well, <laughs> actually, they're called Klingons. Oh. Uh, right, well, winners... actually, it's Pawn Far, not Fawn Par or whatever. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, winners and losers. Who's your big winner for this, uh, for this episode, for this movie? Uh, my, my big winner is DC. Because Ooh, I, like that I think that I think this was the the ultimate tryout for being able to tell a Superman story on almost on almost every level. And not only that, but, you know, like I said, the one person able to tell their whole complete story, considering all the other implications they had nothing to do with in the broader narrative and delivering stories and characters and ideas that service the broader narrative in distinct phases. Like, I think he's 
the obvious choice to be the shepherd of something like what 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 DC can and should want to be. So I think James Gunn going out on top, big flex, masterful. Give it up for the gun. The gun he did man. it. He did it. I think a big. I'm. Gonna, I, you often do this on the show, but I'm going to do this one this time for myself. Uh, I big winner here is me. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe all of us. All of us for for this great movie. I personally, if I can be vulnerable for a second, I know this is a safe space. Um, I personally have a lot of like positive ties to um, the Guardians. Um, when I when I started going right around the first movie came out, or maybe it was when maybe the year after, I started going to therapy, not because of a genuine problem, but because I feel like we all should be doing therapy and mental health is something that we should be everyone can benefit from and in the court, but I went for specific things that I wanted to talk about and through the course of like digging and stuff coming up, you know, a lot of times you get to a point where, you know, not a lot of things start making sense in the world because a lot of your, 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 you gotta, you gotta break it all and take it all apart before you can put it all back together. And for me during that time, something that kind of grounded me and kept me, um, afloat at times was for whatever reason this movie just the guardians just because it was something that like it was the music it was the emotions that the music made me feel it was the um the fact that this is like space and adventure like stuff that's really like that was really like things that i hung on to when i was a kid and i just for whatever reason like this that guardians are very dear to me <laughs> so um, this movie, thank you for letting me share that the, for this movie. Just, I went into it so scared of like, I hope you don't like, cause the second 100%. one, the second one was good. And I've since made my, I've since totally enjoyed it. But first watching it, I was like, no, this didn't make me feel exactly the same. It made me feel really close to it, but not exactly the same. And the third one did the third one made me feel, and it made me feel like I was so worried about where the characters were going to go. And I just, I, they did great it did a great job that's my time thank you very much for listening to that well i th- i mean i think i think in a in a deeper and broader sense too like i totally understand where where you where you make that that specific connection with this movie it it like whatever you want to give to it and i would say all of the stuff we talk about on this show sort of fits the, our favorite stuff fits into this category yes. that you can you can tune into it as deeply or as as shallow as you want to and it'll serve you something at each of those levels you don't have you can really pay attention you can sort of keep it on in the background there's enough going on that it that it that it's that it can begin to provide comfort i'm like that with a lot of different media sure. i have i have empire strikes back playing on the tv muted behind the computer screen i'm looking at to do this broadcast with you like incredible it it makes it it elicits those feelings, whatever you wanted from them, and you get to revisit them. And like, I understand that that like that connection, that affinity, and that you know, I'm really glad that this got to got to satisfy that for you in in this way. That's really good. That's Thank what you. that's what these things should be doing. Yes, right. We don't need to like worry about like, oh, well, this character isn't exactly right, and I don't care for the casting. Just how does it make you feel? Did you like it? Did you feel good while doing it? Great, done. All right. Yeah. Big loser is pretty obvious. Um, this is a Marvel property. Um, 
Ooh, yeah. There's really truly no reason when you're on counter earth flying over the water there, there wouldn't be a counter Sam's boat. I mean, we've got all kinds of different animals. We've got full New York city recreations and stuff. Why can't there be like a Sam's boat being navigated by like a pig Sam? Like, I mean, what, come on. Like it's really, um, is not that hard. Kenny, you could have an actual Falcon Sam. Oh, you could have a Falcon well Man Sam. Donnie, yes. And you could have well a Sam done. shrimping boat that's actually a giant person that is, or it's a giant shrimp that's pulling people out of the water. Yes. <laughs> you know, Sam, I switched Bucky, things around. Bucky, but is, Bucky is a shrimp, shrimp Bucky. It's it, it, it really is getting old, Kevin, and I am speaking directly to <laughs> Kevin Feige right now. Give us give us the boat, man. It's about, pardon my French, friggin' time. I love it. All right, Alex, we have another ad. We have some our ad reads this week are our retractions and redactions. That's what's happening. Yes? Corrections, retractions, and redactions is what the segment is called. And uh, yeah, we just uh, so last episode actually is very recent. I said Darth Grievous when, of course, I meant General Grievous. Um, also, huge correction about the robbery homicide I mentioned earlier. I said oh. Kenny had accused Cleveland Joe of choking their victim to death with a woman's stocking. It was actually Cincinnati Joe. I'm, I'm glad you made that redaction of that redaction because, yeah, I, I when you said Cleveland Joe, I was so hung up on the fact that I can't be tried again for the same crime that I'd forgotten that it wasn't that wasn't right. So right. So, yeah. And pardon me for that. And I'm glad I'm, again, I'm just glad to be airing because we're journalists first and foremost on this first program. I just foremost. want everything we say to be accurate. I appreciate that. Um, Alex, it's game time. Are you ready to play a game? I was born ready for game time. Um, well, here we go. While on the Stephen Colbert show. Nick Cage said the following. Listen, I know this sounds really far out and I don't know if it's real or not, but sometimes I think I can go all the way back to in utero and feeling like I could see faces in the dark or something. That's right. Nick Cage claims to have memories of being in the womb. <laughs> being in a face-filled womb. womb. That's absolutely gaga. And when Nick Cage goes gaga, that means it's time for another installment of Is Nick Cage in This Movie? All right. We played this two times. My time. favorite game. We played this two times before. The game is simple. I'm going to read a description of a film, and you have to tell me if Nick Cage is in the movie. The man. Hold on is, a minute. Hold on a minute. Right, I don't know whether it's weirder that he's. That he. If he remembers this or said it on a TV show, I don't know which of those two things is weirder. I mean, if you try to even figure it out, you will you will die trying. Um, all right, you ready? Let's do it. Number one, be a description of a movie and a title, and then I will ask the question, is Nick Cage in this movie? All right, here we go. Every six years, an ancient order of jujitsu fighters joins forces to battle a vicious race of alien invaders. But when a celebrated war hero goes down in defeat, the fate of the planet and mankind hangs in the balance. And the title of the film, Jiu-Jitsu, is Nick Cage in this movie? Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah. Critic consensus of jujitsu is jujitsu pits an ancient order of warriors against an alien invasion. Yet, despite that appealingly bizarre premise and a cast that includes Nicolas Cage and Tony Jaw, it's the audience that loses. Ooh. Woof. Number two, are you ready? Let's do it. In New Orleans, crimes no, sorry. 
In New Orleans, crime knows many forms, but it's never seen a form like this. An alligator. A gator has swallowed a diamond, and now local crime lords need a gator expert, played by Nicolas Cage, to get that diamond out. But this is no regular gator expert. And the title of the film is Bayou Baby. Is Nick Cage in this movie? Ooh. Yes. No, it's not a real oh. movie. It's not a real movie. That's probably the, should, should be the question. Is this a real Nick Cage movie? You just made that up? Yeah, I made that up. Dude, let's write it and pitch it. That's great. This is not a Nick Cage movie, but he was in the movie Grand Isle, currently at 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. And one critic's review stated, this could have been a respectable retro crime picture. Apparently, nobody told the cast. All right, are you Ooh, ready? Let's do it. Number three. Diagnosed with a fatal condition, a mob enforcer leaves prison after 19 years and plots a bloody course of revenge against his old gang. And the title of the film is A Score to Settle. Is this a real Nick Cage movie? Uh, Plots a course feels very imdb description so i'm gonna say yes this is a real nick cage yes movie. it is yes it is and at 21 percent on rotten tomatoes one critic said of <laughs> a score to settle a, at second glance a score to settle reveals itself as a swarm of cliches that ring louder than bullets Woo! all right you all ready? right there we ready go the one? let's do it all right this is is this a real nick cage movie or one that i made up Two teenagers stumble upon a gate to hell in their father's underwear drawer. And when in hell, they learn that their father, played by Nicolas Cage, may be just the may just be the Prince of Darkness and not the amusement park par- amusement park carousel operator they thought he was. And the title of the film is Bayou Baby. Is Nick Cage <laughs> say it's not no it's not i don't know <laughs> as i was writing it i thought it'd be funny if it was still called bayou baby and i did it and it was great and it got a big laugh and i'm happy for it <laughs> no no it's not a real nick cage movie but you know what is the movie 211 which is currently at four percent on rotten tomatoes and critic consensus is 211's disjointed assortment of assortment of action cliches and uninspired set pieces adds up to roughly zero. <laughs> or or 21, or whatever the review consensus was. Yep. Right, last one, are you ready? This is a blistering game. Let's do it. Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage stars in his first ever Western as Colton Briggs, a cold-blooded gunslinger turned respectable family man. When an outlaw and his gang put Colton and his family in peril, Colton is forced to take up arms with an unlikely partner, his 12-year-old daughter. (laughs) In this action film that builds toward his fatal showdown with a pulse-pounding suspense, and the name of the film is The Old Way. Is this a real Nick Cage movie? Yes. Yes, it is, and it came out this year. (laughs) Woohoo! Critic consensus is... Nicolas Cage's first Western may be a bit of a genre departure for the prolific actor, but in most respects, it's merely a return to his old way of picking up roles in disappointingly subpar projects. Nick, 
Nick, you were you were on the ascendance. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> and that was is this a real Nick Cage movie? Alex, we have one more. Uh, we have any more redactions and retractions? We got to read out. Uh, corrections, retractions, and redactions. That's true. Yes, I do. So, and then this involves again the robbery homicide. In the last segment, when I said that. Cincinnati Joe and Kenny were actually involved in a love triangle with the victim of the robbery homicide. Um, I actually did not say that in the last segment. So this is a correction. This is a correction of me saying an incorrect correction right now. Wow. Yeah. The love triangle piece was something else that I forgot uh, heavily about as well. So I appreciate you um, bringing that up. I, you know, lots going on. Uh, Alex. A statute of limitations is a long time for a reason, Kenny. I don't know what that means, but I said it. Go for it. Um, Alex Enriquez, we all, you and I both are huge um, supporters of Hoopla. Hoopla Digital, you can use your library card and you can go on your phone, your computer, and you can read and check out all kinds of digital comics. Alex, what is your recommendation for the week? My recommendation for the week is a an animated film that I enjoyed uh, that's available on Hoopla. You can rent movies on Hoopla. They're available for download and they're available for three days after. Uh, pardon me, after you borrow them. They but uh, it's called, it's an animated film, I think from China, called The Legend of Hay. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful movie. The animation and the design are are really something else. Uh, the, a lot of the action set pieces and and fights and stuff are... Uh, really beautiful and inventive and uh, yeah I really enjoyed it uh, the I I'd probably have to watch it again I don't know I I there were parts of the story that I was like wait a minute did I miss something so I think I have to watch it again but just I I I saw a clip from it on TikTok and I thought the style was really cool so that's why I sought it out and if you if you like just action animation you will not be disappointed it's really really cool Oh awesome I'm going to check that out for sure mine is we were talking about the legendary Star-Lord will return. That is in reference. There is a comic run by Sam Humphreys called Legendary Star-Lord. And it you can check it out right now. Um, the first uh, vol- issues one through five are volume one is called Face It, I Rule. Um, and it is about kind of Star-Lord as after he is, he's out on his own from the Guardians. He get he, um, is kind of flirting with Kitty Pride while she's on Earth and they're back, but then she they end up together. He takes on Thanos at one point and um, also deals with someone called Mr. Knife, who is directly in link to his father. It's a cool run. It's very much Star Lord, and but you don't have to feel icky about the fact that it's Chris Pratt. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's um, just my friend, Star Lord. Yep. Uh, Alex, what I gotta say, whatever you say about uh, Chris Pratt as a person or whatever, he, he rules as Star-Lord. I mean, it's just like a part that is really, really, he was, he was born to do. I would love to see, have, who have seen Glenn Howerton, who was the backup choice. His take on it would have been pretty interesting as well. But I mean, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord is pretty great. Yeah. There's a certain, uh, fumbling affability that Glenn Howerton as wonderful an actor and performer as he is it just doesn't show up in his repertoire i think it would have been a much sharper star lord than maybe we needed yeah yep 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 yep. all right so um 
the part of the show we teased earlier, what did your dogs think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Not crazy about all the animal brutality, uh, you know, J- J- Jimmy, if we may. Uh, Jimmy, maybe tone it down next time. That's that's from them. Uh, my dog, when we started talking about this podcast, wanted out of the room. So she clearly still has no time for anything that we're doing. So that's where she's at. Um <laughs> Alex, where can the folks find you besides episode five on jury duty on freebie right now? You can watch it. Watch it. Oh, thank you very much. You can find me at uh, Duke underscore midnight, M-I-D-N-I-T-E on uh, Instagram and uh, and watch that space. Watch that space. You can find me at Kenny G Stevenson on Twitch, TikTok, Letterboxd. I'm talking about movies there. Alex, what a great show. A big show. This is our longest show ever, but from one of the greatest pieces of content we've gotten since this show's been put out. I, I'm okay with it. You know what? Drink up, clowns. Drink up, clowns. We have no <laughs> idea what we're doing next week, but it'll probably will involve more drinking up of clowns. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.